This is a business breakfast with Oanda on Jazz FM. Online trading, currency data, money transfers. Very good morning to Craig Erlam, Senior Market Analyst at Oanda. Craig, let's start with uh, the US, where that trade deal that we've been talking about for uh, some time has uh, been signed. This is only the phase one, the preliminary trade deal. And for many critics, it really renews only commitments in the main that China has already made to organisations like the WTO. What do you make of it? It does seem to cover certain aspects which we were expecting. There seems to be a heavy focus on Chinese purchases of various goods, whether it be agricultural, man- manufacturing goods, services. And that seems to be the heavy, the, the, the reliance on this trade, trade deal. And, and like I say, for 18 months, two years of work to just lead to this is a little un- underwhelming at this stage. And, and then only a partial removal of tariffs. Um, it, it doesn't necessarily fill me with hope. We've said before in the show, I feel like this is not phase one. I feel like this is the deal. And if this is the deal, then it doesn't really seem worth all the, uh, all, all, all the aggravation of the last two years. To clarify that, so you don't think that we'll be going on to a phase two, the full comprehensive trade deal that is envisaged, um, um, why is that? Don't get me wrong. I do feel like discussions are going to take place. At the end of the day, tariffs do remain in place and no one likes tariffs. Um, neither the US nor the Chinese administration will be happy about the fact that tariffs are still in place. It doesn't I mean, help the we, economy. Can we clarify that? So the vast majority of these tariffs have been put up as part of the trade deal negotiation mm-hmm. process by President Trump and then retaliations by the uh, Chinese administration. This is about getting back to you know, uh, step one. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they were put in place to put pressure so that the other things could be discussed. Uh, I think from the Trump administration's perspective, it's impossible to get China to come to the table to talk about intellectual property or forced technology transfers or currency issues if you don't put the tariffs in place and impose the pressure uh, to force them to the table effectively. So that's what they've done, and that's why they've left them on the table. From Trump's perspective, they are remaining in place because there needs to be an incentive on the Chinese side to come back for phase two negotiations. So from that perspective, yeah, I can understand why they they, they, they are encouraged by the fact that phase two could begin and maybe even as early as this year. But as far as I'm concerned, we've had two years of negotiations now. And when you look on the surface of this, you're looking at what is included in phase one and you're thinking, is this all you've managed to achieve in this time? And if it is, then what are you actually hoping is going to be different next time? What are you hoping that the Chinese are going to concede on next time, which is going to encourage you to sign a phase two deal, which is far, um, far more engrossing? So, yeah, I mean, granted, if Trump wins an election later this year means we've got four more years to do this and fine but that means four more years of trade negotiations it's not exactly this simple straightforward process that Trump promised us four or five years ago. So, and, like and say, in the process, both economies and the rest of the world have been, you know, we, we are having a slowdown out of these trade negotiations. That's not an edifying process to uh, look forward to for the next four years either. No, it's not. Exactly. That, that's exactly the point. You look at the US, Trump promised 4% growth. It's been closer to 2.5% recently, barring that one year when we had the massive tax cuts. You look at China, we're, we're slipping below 6%. You look at the UK, obviously, we've got our own issues. But you look at other countries which are heavily reliant on trade we look at germany singapore hong kong all of these countries have been affected by the trade war so the the prospect of more negotiations which again i don't i've not spoken to anyone who's actually optimistic uh, about a phase two uh, negotiation it, it is a it, it, it is a little underwhelming and a little bit disappointing if i'm perfectly honest Today, um, President Trump is meeting with the EU's trade um, representative. 
Are there signs here of what we can expect from pressure to be put on the EU when it comes to uh, trade um, questions? Because, of course, Germany's um, particularly uh, trade surplus when it comes to uh, goods going back and forth over the uh, Atlantic is something that President Trump has poked at before. But could this, as you say, underwhelming uh, negotiation suggest that the EU doesn't have quite as much to fear? I wouldn't say not as much to fear, <laughs> per se. Um, I do think that what we're going to see now is the US turn its attention to an easier battle, and I do think the uh, the US found the re- renegotiating NAFTA quite easy because it wasn't, um, I think, as Simon put it on, again, I think I've continually, continuously referenced the end of your show, but it wasn't a battle of equals, uh, the, the NAFTA renegotiations. It was very much what a strong US facing off against Canada and Mexico, and so therefore it, it seemed to be a, a, a a more straightforward renegotiation when it came to China it very much was a, a match of equals and that's why things have taken so long and why I think they, we've come to this underwhelming agreement Europe is more of a, 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 a match of equals when it, than, it, what, than NAFTA was for example but at the same time Europe's also quite weak at the moment whether because of Brexit and the impact that that has because they've never truly got through the financial crisis because Germany has just narrowly avoided a recession the US may look at Europe and say Do you know what this is a far easier battle than it would be for China don't get me wrong it's never going to be as straightforward as Trump will always promise. But it's probably a little bit easier to get the to get Europe on board because what they're demanding for one is not as uh, is not as uh, uh, as huge as what they're demanding from China uh, in terms of things like state aid and uh, technology, etc. Uh, it is very much more of a trade balance issue with regards to Europe, in particular with, with, with Germany. So you think it could but be easier? But there are elements when it comes to uh, things like the proposed digital taxes on mm-hmm. um, primarily U.S. Um, firms, the increased um, state regulation when it comes to, I mean, the EU is the only game in town when it comes to actually batting on an, uh, an even field against the US mm-hmm. when it comes to things like regulation, these enormous companies. This is something that Trump has seen as a personal attack. It is. And, and, and it, I think from Trump's perspective, in his eyes, the taxation, for example, it's almost in his eyes the tariff that's being imposed on our our companies, uh, and therefore it almost feels like a slight reversal of uh, of circumstances compared to what he's dealing with with China. It, 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 this is Europe saying we actually want to tax your companies and uh, and therefore potentially make them less competitive and potentially um, also withdraw re- take revenue from uh, the treasury's pocket and put it in our, in our pocket. So it, it, it's it's a different battle. Uh, but like I say, I feel like Europe's coming from it uh, from a from from a point of weakness. And I don't know people always point to China as a point of weakness uh, because of the trade deficit. But China's never weak. Uh, they they are still growing at a rate of six percent. They are still they do still have massive state backed firms and therefore it's always going to have been a, a it was always going to be a very complex negotiation. Whereas when you're talking about Europe. There is a lot of instability in Europe. There is a lot of uh, a lot of issues that Europe ha- is contending with on its own without a trade war. And finally, then, where do you see the UK actually placing itself in these? Because it's going to be a question of picking sides and picking allies, even if they're temporary. If you've got the um, US facing off um, against uh, EU and um, against China, you've got um, increasing uh, moves in the WTO between e- the EU working with the US against um, China over state aid, etc. Where is the UK going to find its friends? The UK finds itself in this almost unintended, strong position in a in, in a very bizarre way. I, I've previously um, I've previously talked about the UK as being the almost star player that 
football clubs are vying for the signature uh, that these various clubs are vying for to they want they want us on their team uh, as it were from China's perspective when it comes to Huawei they want the UK to adopt 5G because of the this the statement that was sent the uh, how much of a symbolic uh, uh, in, uh, intention that would that was sent to the rest of the world where, where countries are backing away from the the, the 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 Chinese 5G technology from the US's perspective it would be a massive coup to take this country who's backing away from the EU and get them on side um, which again is where Huawei in, in a weird way comes back into it and from your perspective it's about keeping us as close as possible so yeah it, it is a battle of these major superpowers to get the UK and that, that's not to say that we are a major superpower ourselves but it clearly does highlight the fact that we are in the eyes of the US Europe and China extremely significant and sure and top 10 um, economy size etc so yeah exactly a small player um, we've had those inflation figures out we're at three year lows this is an ongoing issue, but are we, with the uh, the election and more certainty for uh, markets and for businesses, do you see this as the end or an ongoing trend? Well, what we're seeing right now, just globally, is actually just a change in trend uh, on, on the inflation front. It seems that for the past two, three decades, we've been seeing inflation dropping, uh, and that's creating massive questions over what central banks need to actually be doing and where interest rates need to be. Naturally, from a consumer perspective, you always think interest rates, you want them as low as possible, right? That reduces your mortgage, it reduces your credit card bills, etc. Unless you're a saver, of course. Unless you're a saver, at which point then it becomes extremely difficult. So this is the conundrum that central banks are facing right now. And then there's also the other perspective as well of do do we want Japanification around the globe where you have ultra-low interest rates for many, many decades uh, and the impact that that has on product Activity on, on economic growth and other things which affect our everyday lives. And it's hard to know exactly what, what causes what effectively uh, we, we, what the chicken and the egg uh, scenario. Is it the ultra-low interest rates which cause uh, the productivity or is it the lack of productivity which cause, uh, causes the ultra-low interest rates? So central banks are being very careful at the moment and you've, we've seen efforts, for, especially from the Federal Reserve in the US for example, to raise interest rates because they want to try and stimulate the economy in a different manner. Um, but other central banks like the UK are being caught in this kind of low interest rate trap uh, right now. And that's why I find it almost infuriating that we're talking about the Bank of England in a way talking about cutting interest rates at the start of this year because it feels like we've just gone through a year where we could have maybe done with a bit of a bit of a, a bit of a stimulus in the economy uh, but they held back because of all the Brexit uncertainty, the political uncertainty, they decided we'll hold off and wait for this to pass before doing anything. Whereas now we're using data which is almost irrelevant uh, and I keep using this same analogy. You don't go to the doctor on the 1st of January and expect to get a good health check uh, because you know that you've just had Christmas, you've had a very boozy uh, December, you've eaten a lot of bad food, so you don't go for an accurate health check on the 1st of January. Then don't take the, the don't, don't don't take the the pulse of the UK economy in November because we had all of the political uncertainty, all of the Brexit uncertainty. So therefore, you're not going to get an accurate reflection of the actual health of the economy. But by that logic, there's always a crisis. We would never actually change interest rates because we'd always be on to the next thing that is out of the ordinary. Yeah, it's never going to be the ideal time to actually take the temperature of the UK. But I, I would argue that a few months from now is far more relevant than November. So it, it, it's just that thing of let's just let what we've just gone through set in uh, and then determine exactly what where, what the UK needs in terms of st- stimulus. Because we're also at a point right now where, if, let's face it, a 25 basis point rate cut is not going to solve our problems. But what it is doing is going to push us 
closer to zero percent so that when a recession does eventually hit and i always say recessions are never due we can never say do you know what we've gone 10 years without a recession we are due one we're never due a recession but that doesn't mean that one can't hit in the next two years and when one hits i'd much rather have to interest rates at two percent we can cut uh, by one or two percent and really actually help households than at 0.25 percent where then you're saying straight to quantitative easing which no one can actually give provide any uh, any clear evidence it's actually made a I suspect we'll be uh, talking about this for some time to come, but that's Craig Earnham there, market analyst at Oanda. Thank you very much indeed for joining me this morning. The Business Breakfast with Oanda on Jazz FM. Online trading, currency data, money transfers.